Just a friendly reminder that the opinions expressed on this show are not worth a Canadian penny, so disregard anything you hear that might get anyone in trouble. And despite some of the great ideas you may hear, don't try them at home. Go to friend's house instead. Welcome to episode 218 of Slamfire Radio for August 11th, 2017. I am one of only two hosts, Trevor the Frilatte. And I'm Adriel the Misho. Sure. Yeah, or there the, we go. Or the Frosty. The Frosty, that works. okay. Yeah. I'm just saying that works too. It's a name that you have that you mm-hmm. often neglect, <laughs> which is disrespectful to the people who <laughs> gave it to you and enjoy it. But I'm not here to judge out loud. Wait, but you are judging out loud. Totally, totally loud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, awesome. Why don't we get right into it? Um, it's been so long. I'm like, do we talk about what the show's going to be about now? Or do we just <laughs> bring that up during the main topic? Man, it's been a while. Yeah. Um, and I'm yeah, slightly distracted from my, uh, my, my little detour right before the show. Um, okay. You want to do what we did this week in Guns then? Yeah. All right, and that is why I'm asking you. I'm the lead host tonight, darn it. <laughs> Lost with old Matthew and Kelly, too, I guess. Um, yeah, that's right. So, Matt, yeah, let's do that. No Matthew, no Kelly. Nope. Kelly doesn't have a valid excuse, so whatever. But Matthew's got a valid excuse. He's getting ready for the move, right? As he's mentioned on the show before, he's mm-hmm. moving. So he's got a, a house to prepare for sale. So he's got to go through it and find all the hidden firearms. Like, is, like, is it behind this wall? Is it under that step? Like, he's basically going through his house with a metal detector to locate all the hidden firearms that he's put aside and stuff, you know. All the dollar all the bills in the in the. Uh, walls and the ceilings and the ducts exactly. and yep exactly yep so that's what he's up to uh, Kelly uh, like I said I don't know it's probably not anything really significant she hates the listeners and um, just decided to take the night off is <laughs> basically what happened there so um, yeah so what we did this week in guns is brought to you by the Calgary Shooting Center Canada's premier firearms retailer Calgary Shooting Center is now Canada's source for Knight's Armament. So you want to get yourself a completely badass AR-15? Knight's is one of the ways to go. And, of course, you can get it at the Calgary Shooting Center. They'll be putting together an import in the next 60 days. If you're interested in getting some Knight's Armament products, please let them know. Um, All right, Matthew's not here. I'll go ahead with what I did. And I wasn't on last week. Neither was Matthew. When Matthew was on to talk about our course out west i wasn't on and now i'm on to talk about our SummerSlam experience together and he's not on but anyway i'll jump back a little bit here um pub night was awesome so we're going way back now to edmonton before before we taught our class we started off you must have got that you didn't get that one yet what do you mean no talked about the pub night no i didn't get to talk about the pub night i didn't get to talk about the ferlacci class um, cause I was oh, at, yeah. see, I've been, it's been two weeks mm-hmm. since I was on, right? When I was at, at the nationals, you guys were talking about the Falachi class and the pub night. Yes. And I was on for the recording that died on us, but wasn't on for the, for the makeup show for it. Hmm. Yep. So yeah. Well, you're kind and of on. Was, 
Yeah, kind. Of, yeah, it's a good job, by the way, <laughs> on that. Um, and it was uh, it was very well done. Hopefully, you know, Matt Hipwell hadn't heard the episode yet with his interview, and that's his first experience. So I'm like, oh man, <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about that too. Uh, like, uh, I wonder if he's going to get our humor in there. <laughs> hopefully that hopefully Matt listens to other episodes other than just that one to get a <laughs> overall feel for how bad things are, and just doesn't ex- judge us on that one. Yeah. He's got to so, he's got to get the full experience to really exactly. understand what a mistake he like, made. Yeah, he needs like three or four <laughs> bad episodes before he judges us. So, so yeah, the pub night was awesome. I really enjoyed seeing a pile of people. Um, big shout out to Yolanda. She drove two and a half hours each way to come visit. So that's pretty that's pretty awesome. Driving a kick ass Camaro. I spent time out in the parking lot ogling over her Camaro. It was a very nice car, and. Um, and and fighting with Matthew to uh, get her attention, he was just being super annoying friend. Hey, this 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 cute girl over here. Yeah, I'm hanging off her. That's right. What are you gonna do about it? <laughs> it was. Uh, I was embarrassed for him. It was awful, and embarrassed for me, and embarrassed for Yolanda. It was all the thing was pretty embarrassing, I guess. <laughs> but uh, anyway, that was really cool. And then of course for Lachi. Uh, two days of instructing some new people and having people come back. So that was a lot of fun. Looking forward to getting out there and doing that again. Uh, gopher hunting. Oh, my goodness. The, my most memorable experience, like, of course, you and I and Phil Point when I was out there for the CCFR AGM. And then you and I and Matthew and Will went. And then you and I and Matthew and Jeff went. And we hit a hot spot. Like, I mean, that field was amazing, right? Uh, the funnest or funniest part of that whole day was Jeff and I were in one location. You and Matthew were in another. We were against the fence line, right? You guys were shooting into one field, creating chaos, and Jeff and I were shooting into the other field. And when we were done, Jeff walks up to the to the hill, the gopher town, if you will, and he comes back. He says, dude, it's just like the opening scene on the beach in Saving Private Ryan. There's body parts everywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was, too. And Matthew shot a couple in the face. Um, it was there was some amazing hits. Seventeen HMR man. Something else. Your rifle is amazing. Point and click, Point and, click and things and things stop doing what they're doing. Uh, Jeff also has an amazing CZ eight five eight or not even. <laughs> How many times have I said that? That's become automatic. Jeff has a CZ. Do you remember the model number on that thing? Oh boy, I had one. <laughs> like a uh, four twenty five? No, no. A okay. CZ seventeen HMR. Yeah, yeah, and just a beautiful piece of glass on there. Uh, man, it's amazing. So anyway, um, and then I went off to nationals. This was my first experience working nationals as a chief range officer. So when you're a chief range officer at nationals, they either assign you one stage, like a medium or a long, or if there are two small stages in the same bay, you'll be responsible for both stages. So you kind of keep an eye on things, make sure things aren't breaking down, call Mr. Fix-It if you need to. As the squad arrives, you welcome the squad, you read the the stage briefing verbatim exactly as it's um, written by the match director, you demonstrate uh, start positions so that there's consistency, squad after squad after squad. That's the beauty of having a de- dedicated CRO. It's every squad that came to my stage over three days got the same information, got the same um, examples given. So that provides consistency. Like one of the challenges I have in SummerSlam is that 
sometimes people misinterpret the stage description. Don't call me on the radio, get clarification. And then you turn around and one squad did something one way and it kind of, well, was that actually the stage description or not? And so mm-hmm. it's the ultimate consistency when you can have dedicated um, match officials are both chief range officers and range officers. So, and every day that I was there, I got a new work crew and new ROs. So Mike Roos, who's been a listener long time, he went to both, or he went to the class last year. He went to, took two days of training with us again this year. He's a NIPS shooter. Um, he was on my work team as a worker and it sucks if you got to work, then shoot. I'd much, cause you shoot two half days, you work one full day. And either I'd like to get my shooting done, you know, in the morning on day one, in the afternoon on day two, and then work all day on day three and be done. I, I or, or the worst I think is shoot a half day, work a full day, shoot a half day. But what are you going to do? It's the luck of the draw. Mm-hmm. You get the schedule you get. So Mike had to work all day and then shoot. And I mean, the man worked too. All my workers worked, but, you know, of course I know Mike, so I'm going to brag him up a little bit. Um, he also ended up with an extra mat shirt. I forgot to order a mat shirt, so he sold me the extra mat shirt that he had. I can't believe I'm remembering all this stuff. <laughs> um, did you guys give my shout outs last week? Yes. Oh, well, then, all right, I'm not going to overdo it then because I know I'll forget somebody. So, But anyway, you get new ROs every day, and each RO, sometimes you get an RO who is a CRO, and he knows as much or more than you. So it's really it's interesting, and there's always a balancing act of personalities and stuff. And um, some people, everybody does things a little bit differently, and you got to make sure that everybody works together in a consistent way. It doesn't have to be your way, but it has to be consistent, right? From shooter after shooter. So yeah. it was uh, it was an excellent experience. I think the biggest compliment I got was when the range master came up to me and he said, you, I don't know what you've been doing, but I haven't been called to this stage once in two days. So uh, just keep it up, I guess, whatever you're doing. So that was, uh, was kind of cool. It meant that we were taking care of business. Um, when we had some time between squads, we were making extra target stands for the swinger on my stage. We were making extra cables that activated the swingers so that if something went down, we didn't actually have to call Mr. Mm-hmm. Fix-It. There was only one color, caliber, popper calibration call the entire three days that I was there, I think. So that was pretty good, too. Um, the match itself, I shot... The pre-match, so I shot a full day on Tuesday and a half day on Wednesday. Um, I was happy with how I shot. I finished in Classic around the same place that I finished last year in Halifax at the Canadian Nationals in Standard 21 or 22 or something like that. So mm-hmm. so that was pretty good. I was happy with that. Um, and overall, the match was excellent. It was very well run. The stages were you know, uh, clean. They weren't gimmicky. They weren't full of crazy props that don't actually test shooting ability. They just test whether or not they're going to last the match and not break. There were, you know, swingers and stuff, uh, but nothing, like I said, nothing gimmicky. The only stage that was kind of contentious was um, they had like a house stage, and on the house stage there was a teeter-totter. You ran up it, and then the balance, the you know, the balance shifted, and then you ran down it. And a couple of people ended up going to the emergency room because they rolled an ankle on the other side. Oh. I believe there was a couple of disqualifications on that stage. There was a, a teeter-totter in Halifax last year 
but it was slightly different. It was facing directly downrange, not parallel to the backstop. And you ran halfway up and stopped and took a shot at a target from the teeter-totter and then ran down the other side. This teeter-totter just was like a bridge between two shooting sections. And the only way to get from one shooting section to the other was to take this teeter-totter. There's actually one individual who said, nope, I'm good, who walked across and took all the applicable penalties hmm. just because he didn't want to have nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it was on the 90, let's say, parallel to the backstop, while running up and running down, you had to keep your firearm pointed directly downrange, not out in front of you or you would break 90. So this is where some of the sweeping came in. You had to make sure that the other arm that you were balancing with never got in front of your muzzle, right? So mm-hmm. uh, meant to, like some people say, oh, it's meant to slow, to slow the fast guys down. Okay, so if it's meant to slow down the fast guys, yes, it does. It slows down everybody. And it doesn't let the slow people catch up to the fast people. The, the fast people are, are slower but still faster than the slow people. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So you haven't you haven't created any kind. It's like restrictor plates in NASCAR. The fast cars are still the fastest cars. Restrictor plates slow everybody down, but the fast drivers are still the fast drivers. So you haven't done anything to try and equalize the playing field if if that was the rationale behind this uh, behind this prop. But anyway, um, it was it was all good. Um, Jeff Reese and I went back on. Like these were some long days. We went back on Sunday before the banquet. Yeah. So when I was working, so I was staying at Jeff Reese's place. So I'd have to get up at five or five thirty, drive an hour and a half to the range, um, work all day until six p.m., and then drive an hour and a half back. I'd get back to Jeff's. I'd sit down. Jeff always had an incredible home cooked meal ready. We'd sit down as a family. Something I'm not used to was pretty awesome. So it was him and his wife and his daughter, and we'd sit together and eat a home cooked meal instead of eating on the fly and stuff. So it was a really nice way to unwind after a long day to sit there with his family. And his family is awesome. His kid is awesome. Mm-hmm. And uh, have a have a meal together, and then a beer, and then a shower, and then bed, and then do it all over again. So it was a really really long week. SummerSlam is or Nationals is done. Get home. SummerSlam. I left four nationals with only two and a half stages of construction left to do. We were all of the major construction. We were down to things like, oh, don't forget to paint those X's on that particular stage over there. We were we had all the major construction for SummerSlam done a week early. It was awesome. The pressure was off. Everything was we were ready to go. You know that old saying like when you're in university and you think you got all your assignments handed in, you think you got all your studying done, that's when you that's when you know you're in trouble cuz sure as shoot you knew you know you forgot something and it's going to come back and bite you in the butt. Mm-hmm. Same thing happened to me. I was concentrating on getting the stages designed and built early and then it came time to figure out my squatting schedule and where I was going to put people. And one of my goals this year was to not build any stages on the rifle ranges. When I build stages on the rifle ranges, I have to shut them down. And I have to rush to get the stuff off of there Sunday after the match so that they're ready for the rifle shooters. And I'm trying to conflict as little as possible with the other members of the gun club and not use their space or their time. But in doing so... I created 13 shooting positions or locations on the range. So I had 13 locations where a squad could start. However, I had 14 squads. Oh. Yeah. So we ended up having to move a stage to one of the rifle ranges uh, to create 14 positions. 
And then there were two short stages. So the squads were probably going to finish those two short stages at the same time and then both arrive at the next stage at the same time and we would have a bottleneck all day. They actually didn't cause the bottleneck. Other squads ended up causing bottlenecks by either taking too long or jumping or whatever. But see, if I create a schedule of this is where your squad needs to be at this time and this time and this time, and then the next day, this time, this time, this time, then there's no problem. Um, I tell people, you're start, it's like a shotgun start in golf. If you start on the... 15th hole, then you go to the 16th hole, then the 17th, then the 18th, then you go around the hole one. Same idea. As long as people stick to that, when they get to a stage and there's a squad already there and they have to wait, they have to wait. But sometimes what happens is they see the stage in front of that squad is empty, so they go to it. Mm. Well, Yeah, that'll cause problems. It'll cause a problem because the, the stage that they got to where a squad was still shooting may have been on their third last shooter. So now they get to that stage, it's their turn, but you're there. And then you want to go back to where you're supposed to be, and it just is a it's it's just a constant trickle effect. And even though I tell people all the time, don't even ask to jump, they still ask to jump. So I've got somebody who is going to help me. He's got a lot more experience than I do um, with scheduling and managing this sort of thing. Because this is my area that needs improvement of all the aspects of being a match director this is my weakness right now is making sure that the match smooth flows smoothly didn't have any complaints you know i actually had more complaints about the banquet than i did about (laughs) then yeah than i did about the match like the shrimp wasn't up to people's uh, standards the shrimp lobster yeah it's a when you come to SummerSlam, you get the full meal deal it starts off friday night with a registration night and we feed you the gun club members cook turkeys and hams and we have it at a pub this year we went to a brew pub and he actually ran out of beer i should look look we, we drink beer <laughs> we drink beer and we shoot guns what do you mean you don't have enough beer so anyway he ran out of his beer people were drinking his beer and they drank all of his beer which was great for him um, and then they went on to the other stuff. There was live music playing. You got your uh, match booklet. You got signed into the match, confirmed whether or not you had extra banquet tickets. Tracy from the CCFR was there to hand out some CCFR swag along with your match booklet. We are selling tickets on a rifle. And um, just a good time. Thank God that well, there was no rain because we were all outdoors. Uh, but it was good. So, the, so we start off with that. Then on Saturday, you've got day one of the match. Saturday night, you got a banquet. Now... In the past, we've had a banquet with a professional caterer. He comes in, full-service caterer. He ha- he does the tables. He sets them. He uses his own tablecloths and napkins, and he brings all of his own dishes. He has servers, and you get served at your table. Very, very professional. However, very expensive. We're giving, like, last year we put something like four to six guns no, there were six guns in the prize table last year. The gun club paid for four of them alone. Plus, you had that amazing banquet. It's like the guns were six thousand uh, dollars. The banquet was four thousand oh, dollars. It's just yeah, it, and 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 all we charged for an entry fee was a hundred and like thirty five bucks. Yeah, that's not so. Yeah, we we spent all the money we made last year and some of our savings to put on a big show for the tenth anniversary. So sure enough, people come back and they're like, "Well, everything was better last year." Yes, last year was the 10th. 
everything was better. We did 18 stages. We had a big professional banquet. We had lots of stuff on the prize table. I mean, the stuff costs money, right? Um, and we always, you know, Chris Kingston's always said, get back to the shooter, get back to the shooter. And let's face it, you can't get people to come to Newton, to northern New Brunswick unless you bribe them with a good match, bribe them with good food, bribe them with uh, a good prize table. And then, of course, I can't do everything. I can't do the banquet. I can't do the Friday night reception. I can't do the prize table. I can't do the match. Drive. I've got to, like, farm some of these things out, but then there's only so many people to go around as well, right? Mm-hmm. But next year, I'm going to put one person in charge of sponsorship for the match. That's their only purpose for living. The other guy, he's supposed to do the banquet and the Friday night reception. And then one guy just on... You know, my sponsorship guy can also be my prize table guy. Don't have to come to the range. Don't have to swing a hammer. You don't have to pound spikes. Just make sure that the match is sponsored and make sure that there's a kick-ass prize table. And then let the other two guys worry about the reception and the banquet. And hopefully that will address some of the concerns because you try and do too many things at once. You know what it's like. Things get dropped. So mm-hmm. anyway, other than that, um, I, th- I think the match went well. Uh, next year, I am going to up it again. It's going to be another 18 stages. It's going to be another 150 people instead of 140. I'll go back to 15 squads of 10 instead of 14 squads of 10 plus pre-match. So, um, and of course, smoke on the water was providing the food service, and this is great. We don't have to worry about it. And they actually they did what they were going to what they said they would do last year. They brought golf carts or a golf cart, and they drove around selling sandwiches and sports drinks to the shooters. And there's there's some ways that uh, that the shooting sports in these matches are are very close to golf. Like it, when yep. you start talking about uh, a golf cart driving around with food, uh, a banquet, uh, random prizes. Like all, the only ne- thing you need to do next is have a uh, uh, one of those uh, 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 deals where you bid on things for charity, and uh, you've got yourself a golf tournament with guns. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what they say about a golf course it's a willful and deliberate use of a perfectly good rifle range so <laughs> there we go anyway um and then i started planning the three gun match and our three gun match yeah, if you could add that to your website it would be awesome it's going to be yeah. seven stages and it's going to be um on september 9th uh we'll continue to use practice score and we're going to use the practice score uspsa multi-gun match scoring that's in practice score which is um time plus so mm-hmm. I figured out how the time plus works. The penalties were all obvious, but I didn't fully understand the failure to neutralize. So in order to neutralize a target, you must have at least one alpha or two hits anywhere else. So if you have an alpha and a Charlie, you're good. If you have a Charlie and a Delta, you're good. Two Charlie, you're good. Two Delta, you're good. Uh, one alpha, you're good. But if you have a Charlie miss or a Delta miss, that's a failure to neutralize. And that's an additional five seconds. So oh, that guy's going to shoot back at you. You only wounded him. <laughs> you just winged him. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's that's what I've been up to. Um, not bad. It didn't, you know, almost 30 minutes. Typical. But I've been gone <laughs> for two weeks. And I've been doing yeah. a lot of really cool stuff. Yeah. Guns. Did I buy any guns? I didn't. Oh, well. Uh, hmm. We'll come back to that. You could always interrupt me with, oh, yeah, I forgot. I bought, <laughs> I bought one of these and one of those. And <laughs> well, I got out to the range on, um, uh, oh, I didn't talk about Demo Day. Well, Demo Day is where I met, well, actually, I met Matt Hipwell and uh, his partner, Guy Banger, from the uh, from 
uh, Wolverine at registration day for the pre-match. And uh, I believe they shot the pre-match as well because then they were working their booth during the uh, during the main match. And during demo day, it was Wolverine partnered up with CZ, partnered up with X-Metal to do some demo. And they had the CZ pistols, the TAC Sport Orange in 40 and 9mm. This pistol in 9mm is like near perfection. It's amazing. It's an awesome. would make an awesome three-gun pistol. If you're going to use an IPSC, you would be in standard minor because it's single action, minor because it's 9mm. Oh, what a sweet, smooth shooting gun. Um, the What's tax it sport. On? It's the tax sport in 9mm. Is it, so, so is it based on like a, a CZ or a 1911 or? It is, no, no, it's a, CZ, it's a CZ 75. Okay. Right, Beef, beefed up in 40 and then brought down in 9. Well, it's not a CZ 75 because the CZ 75 is a double action, single action. This is CZ's single action pistol and they make it mm. in both 40 and 9. So in 40, it would be the limited division in USPSA or the standard division in IPSC. So... Um, it would be the direct competitor to the Tanfoglio Limited Custom or the 2011 Edge line of pistols. Double stack 40 stuff. They also had the CZ Shadow and Shadow 2. They also had the Evo Scorpion, which yeah. is a little submachine gun thing in 9mm. Yeah. And then they had the CZ 512 Tactical 22. Uh, no last shot bolt hold open. The magazine catch was very small, and in the front of the magazine, there was just no way to get the mag out besides holding the, the pistol grip in your strong hand and getting up there with your weak hand and hitting that tab and pulling the mag out. So it wasn't really crazy about that. The mag well could, could have been flared as well. It's like a single stack 22 mag, so it's really long and really thin. It's not wide, you know. Um, the bolt the bolt hold open button is mm-hmm. inside inside the trigger guard not in front of the oh. trigger guard yeah so i think that's a little bit of a fail um but uh you know other than that it's got the right size got the right weight it's got a great trigger it's accurate so they just need to improve the uh where the, the location of some of the controls i believe the ergonomics are fine it's like uh it's like an air, right? Basically like holding an air, collapsible buttstock, pistol grip, uh, you know, one piece handguard kind of thing. So um so yeah, Jeff and I went there and, and met those guys, did an interview with Matt and shot a lot of X-Mental targets ammunition. And so hopefully we will have them partnered up with X-Mental at SummerSlam next year. We were hoping to do a shoot off on day two at SummerSlam this year with uh, X-Mental targets targets for the top five in every division, but it rained on Sunday morning and it delayed us by an hour. So we, uh, we didn't have time. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Sorry, Adriel. What did you do? Uh, let's see. Uh, I shot two Ipsic level two matches in Bonneville. Uh, that was, uh, these are my first Ipsic matches. I took my black badge like really late last year. Uh, I got 39th out of, uh, sorry, I got 9th out of 39 uh, shooters in production on day one, which I'm super happy about. Darn uh, right. Yeah, day two was not nearly as good. <laughs> it was uh, it was raining on day one, and uh, I'm running this, uh, this steel-cased ammo, and that steel-cased ammo corroded between day one and day two. 
Uh, so day two, I started shooting and I, I ran into a couple of stoppages that were ammo related. Um, and, and, uh, I thought I like, it felt like it ruined my match and, and it did ruin my match in terms of my score and whatnot. But I just, uh, I just finished watching the video and it's like, ah, you know, I, I, I didn't, I didn't do too bad with, uh, with dealing with some of those stoppages. Um, yeah, so this is my first Ipsic match, and uh, just a just a couple of thoughts, uh, just off the top of my head. Uh, one, like, there's some amazing shooters at Ipsic. Uh, I ran into Corey Lawrenson, which is uh, he's a shooter out of uh, Peace River uh, in Open, and man, is he fast! <laughs> there's him and a couple of other guys that were that were just blazing, and I got to go on the same squad as them, and uh, they made me look like really really slow. <laughs> <laughs> But it was good because, uh, like, that's what I, I wanted to see. Okay, where where do I need to make up time? Do I need to make it up in in uh, my splits? Do I need to make it up in transitions, movement? I mean, it's all of them. But uh, anyways, so, that was my Ipsic match. Um, you going to go back? Ah, uh, you know, the thing is, there's not, like, okay, I would I would shoot more Ipsic if it was convenient. If, if I didn't have to drive, like, three plus hours to a match. Um, there's an indoor place, so I could shoot there. Uh, but the next place is like, I could drive to Fort McMurray, which is five plus hours. I could mm. drive to Brooks, which I, I don't know. I've never been to Brooks. The three, four hours, something like that. Five. I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> or I could drive to down to some places near Calgary, which are going to be four hours kind of a thing. So, um, so maybe if they match do for you as a weekend, what's that? A Nipsic match for you is a whole weekend. Yeah. There's no like, there's no such thing as. Well, I mean, if I was hardcore, I'd wake up at three in the morning and I'd you know start driving nope. out in the middle of nowhere. But no, no, <laughs> no. If I'm gonna wake up at three o'clock in the morning to shoot something, I better be putting a tag on its ear when I'm done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, so maybe, maybe I'll shoot another one uh, if they if they do some more at Bonneville, for example. That's only uh two and a half hours i've got a place to stay there too so i can i can drive up friday night and, and it's not so bad uh but if i gotta drive out in the middle of nowhere probably not mm, okay yep uh what else did i do i put some skateboard grip tape on my pistol um, i saw the picture pretty neat yeah uh, Ma- I, well, so um I, I i had my hands on matthew's glock uh last time you guys were out here in bonneville and it felt fantastic it just uh very grippy um, and uh, I don't know, uh, very even. Like the the FNS grip is very grippy, but it's it's very kind of uneven. And if you crush it with your hands, uh, you end up with these uh, dimples all over your hand. And uh, I don't know. So I thought the skateboard tape would would do better. I found uh, a picture that someone took online of of their grips. I traced over it <laughs> with some paper. Uh, mm-hmm. I cut out some uh, skateboard grip tape and I threw that out, threw that on, and it feels excellent. And I don't know, like for, for the listeners out there, this is a this is a very easy mod to do. Um, you clean off your grips with some alcohol. You heat up the skateboard tape and and put like or, or cut it out first. Um, applying it though, a little bit of heat and it's it's rubberized, so it moves where you want to. You can get into your compound curves very easily. Uh, it's not like a stiff 2D piece of material. It's very flexible and it, and it moves very easily into spaces that you need it to to, to get into. Uh, so, I've got that on my FNS and I'll try that this weekend because I'm gonna I'm gonna have a three gun uh, match this weekend. So we'll uh, we'll see how that works. Did you um, c- 
consult the back of the IPSC rulebook as to where you are and are not allowed to apply grip tape to a production gun. Yeah, I saw where you're allowed to put it on there. Um, again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be shooting another IPSC match for like this year, so gotcha. I don't really care. I'll, I'll pull that it off if I need to. Matters not, yeah. No. Well, and I mean, you probably, you probably are fine anyway with where you put it. That's pretty generous in the rule book. Yeah, they they kind of say like anywhere in the like in that vertical line up the up the grip kind of a thing. Just nothing forward on the on the frame, nothing forward on the slide or anything like that. And I I didn't do that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Excellent. Yeah, my buddy welded up the lifter fork on my uh, Browning A5, so it there's no fork there anymore. Now it's just a flat surface, uh, not flat. It's it's got like a little bit of a divot in there to uh, to center the shells. Uh, good, tried good. it out. That's important, and it's working great, and it's loading great. So I'm really pumped about that because um, with the fork and with my inletting on the uh, loading port, it was catching my thumb a little bit and, mm -hmm. uh, and now it doesn't, it's just, it just doesn't catch it there whatsoever. So that's going to be good. Uh, we've got a Chaz three gun match this weekend. Uh, I'm going to go to a planning meeting tonight, uh, right after we're done recording the show here, I've planned out a couple stages, uh, and I think they're going to be pretty good. We're going to have uh, the whole range again. So we're going to, we're going to have a whole pile of stages and, uh, it's going to be good. Awesome. Yeah. And then uh, three-gun match in Saskatoon on August the 26th. That's the uh, Prairie Fire one. That one's coming up pretty quick here. Say hi and, to Yolanda uh, for me. I will. I think I might – what I might do is record – I don't know, listeners, you can, you can tell us if this would be something you'd be into, but I might record some of the uh, uh, some of the pro teams uh, mm -hmm. the, that are sponsored and uh, uh, just ask them, like, what they're running for guns. Uh, what kind of, t what, like what three tips would they have for new shooters? Just lightning round kind of a thing. And maybe if I can get three or four of them through that, it would make for some, uh, for some interesting listening. And Yolanda, you know, I'm just saying, yeah, ask her, wanna, yeah I'm going to ask you want to, you want to interview her. I'm sure you'd be all right. Oh, that's one other thing I forgot about the Ipsic match. There were a lot of lady f shooters. There were a ton of them. Our, nice. our three-gun match, we'll have like 30 shooters and maybe like one uh, one uh, lady shooter. They had a pile of them, and they were good. Like, uh, they, the, a couple of them kicked my butt on the second day. And, nice. uh, yeah, they were not slouches. They were moving. Uh, they were shooting fast. And it was like, wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> this is, and it, this it, is not it's... something I've seen in three-gun at all. Nope, but in, um, and I think some women are intimidated by the long guns, but in Ipsic, man, I mean, there's no reason why they can't tear it up as good as the men. Women are athletic. They run as fast as we do or faster. There's no, uh, it's not a strongman contest. It's an accuracy contest. The um, fitness is supposed to be kept to a reasonable amount. So you get a young, strong female in her 20s all the way up to her, you know, into into her 50s, and they go toe-to-toe -to -toe with a lot of the men. It's just accuracy, you know? So they run those guns easily as good as we do, and in a lot of cases, much, much better. It's scary to watch some women shoot how good they are. You're like, man, that's the only thing a woman does. I wish I could do as good as her. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there was, shoot, there was a couple that were shooting extremely consistently, and they were like, oh, that was a bad stage. I was like, what are you talking about? You just crushed my stage time. <laughs> yeah, no. yeah. 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 Awesome. That was good. Anything uh, else? No, that's it for me. All right. Let's, uh, let's jump into upcoming events. Okay. Let's start with the TDSA. 
They will be running a three-gun course at the Silverdale Gun Club on September 9th. This is the only day they'll be running this course this year. For more information, check out the TDSACanada.com. Now, three-gun course. This isn't a match. This is a, it's a course, is a course it's to teach you. It's a course. Yeah, I, I haven't seen one before, and there's there's one that, uh, that TDSA is putting on. TDSA? Silverdale Club, the province would be nice. There's not enough information here. Who's the instructor? What's the cost? What's the round Silverdale's count? Silverdale's Ontario. Silverdale's, um, okay. Not everyone yeah. knows that. Uh, who, who sent this in? I did. Way to go. <laughs> go to TDSA. If you want to learn about Three Gun in your Ontario, go to TDSACanada.com. It's not like there's a a wealth of selection for these kind of sh- uh, courses out there. That's the only Still. one that I've heard of coming Same to Canada. Here, yeah. Yeah. Who's TDSA? Uh, they are a, uh, firearms training, uh, company as far as I know. I've seen them a couple of times, uh, showing up in terms of doing like, uh, basic, like pistol fundamental courses and that kind of thing. So they're a direct competition for Matthew and I. Yes. And you put this in here. <laughs> yes. You're a commie. There we go. All right, next, three-gun matches. Adriel, what do you got? All right, well, I was mentioning the Chaz three-gun matches this Saturday. There's also going to be a Mighty Peace three-gun match uh, on Saturday. Uh, nothing on Sunday. The weekend after is pretty busy. There's the uh, Prince Albert uh, match that's going on. Medicine Hat is running a match. Edson is running a, a match on the 19th as well. That's going to be the Raz or the Wild Rose Action Shooters three-gun. Uh, so they're going to be running theirs out of Edson. And then finally, the the Northwest Three Gun is going to be running uh, a match out of the Smithers Rod and Gun Club uh, in BC. So uh, that's all either in like Al- BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan kind of a thing. So lots of okay. action around there. Uh, the weekend after, there's a there's a bunch of bigger events that I might want to just pull a couple out. There's the uh, Prairie Fire Classic Multi Gun that's in Saskatoon. That's a big one. Uh, Mighty Peace Three Gun is on the twenty sixth. There's the Three Gun Outlaw shoot at the Rock Cut. Uh, that's at the Rock Cut Shooting Club in Ontario. Uh, that is a bigger one, as far as I know. And then Lakeland Three Gun is going to have their match as well. So, lots cool. of stuff on the twenty sixth. All right, let's skip on to the news because we're getting along in the tooth. And the first one is about a Winnipeg police officer who. Uh, was injured after gunfires inside the holster. Now, you guys know I'm not usually fussy about us promoting stories that make law enforcement look bad. For the, just for the sake of making them look bad, we're 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 we're, we're better than that here on Slamfire. We're not going to pick on law enforcement or military just for the sake of doing it. Uh, but this one interests me because it says injured after gunfires inside holster. So this kind of sounds like a range equipment or a um, officer equipment malfunction, either the firearm or the, uh, or the holster. Does the story give any details as to? Nope. Nope. So who knows? Have you known guns like duty pistols to go off inside holsters with nothing there? It's gotta be something. So like some strap got into the trigger guard, uh, on reholstering, something happened. Well, we don't even know if he had the firearm drawn and had to reholster. Uh, it happened just before 1 p.m. Uh, police said about five police cars filled the parking lot at Sobey's grocery store. Uh, to, to the officer was taken to the hospital. See, so it doesn't say why they were there or if he had drawn. He probably 
caught either either he had his uh, booger hook on the bang switch while reholstering, or some piece of debris interfered with the holster. I only know of one other firearm going off while holstering, and that was a uh, modified Glock with a malfunctioning trigger. Hmm. So the trigger came apart and got caught on part of the holster, and the bullet bounced off his iPhone. Huh. Yep, yeah. happened last year at the Nationals. Oh, that's odd. Well, I mean, that's yeah. like that's modified pistols, though. That's, that's right. not like that's a duty, right. a duty that's pistol right. yeah. is. Yeah. Different. So. All right. Um, next, we have the NEA is now going to be called Black Creek Labs, which means the NEA 102 will become the BLC 102. Yeah, BCL one hundred and two. Yeah, Black Creek, Creek Labs. So I think this. I think it's the same company. I just think that they're changing their scope um, to more global firearms uh, uh, manufacture and research, and less. Uh, Let's you know, face it: if your firearm manufacturer name doesn't have the word "black" in the title, it's not going to go anywhere. <laughs> Black Creek sounds way cooler than NEA. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, maybe that's part of it, but. Uh, no, I mean it's the the name's cool, so maybe maybe uh, maybe that's the reason. I don't know. This next one, I get a kick out of anybody who has not been living under a rock in a cave on Mars this week has heard about the Sig P320 um, failing drop tests, mm-hmm. or has it? According to Sig, the pistol meets requirements for industry and government safety standards, performance enhancement option, optimized function, safety, and reliability. It does. That's the first thing. Yeah, it meets all those standards. Mm -hmm. And yet still fires. Yeah, exactly. The standards suck because if you actually drop it on the backstrap, which is what puts the forces in line with the firing pin, it'll fire just fine. Mm -hmm. If you drop it on the muzzle, if you drop it on the side... It will not fire. But as soon as you drop it on the back strap, she goes kabang. So I don't know um, how many of these videos you've watched, but uh, there's one uh, with a guy kind of hitting the back of it with like a a rubber hammer kind of a thing. mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. uh, they can get it firing doing that as well. Wow. Didn't see that one. Um, No, I saw the one where they just tested that and the X5. So... I thought the uh, X5 passed, but the P320 didn't. It did. It did. Yeah. It did pass, and the theory was that the X5 trigger itself was lighter mm. and didn't have the inertia. So, be that as it may, Sig says that the pistol passes standards. So we're not going to. We're doing a voluntary recall. No, nope. nope. it's not a recall. Guys, you're right. You're right. It's, it's a, not a recall. <laughs> I got to choose my words carefully. Sig Sauer issues voluntary upgrade of the P320 pistol. There you go. <laughs> a yeah. voluntary upgrade. That's a, that if sounds you would like, like a PR person came up with that. Absolutely. With that <laughs> this is full of lawyer and PR talk. So, if you're nervous about the fact that your P320 may fire if dropped on the beaver tail, Send it in, and we'll 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 take care of that little thing for you. There, we'll just we'll just square that away. We'll make that right. Yeah. Well, and to just to be fair, you have to drop it on concrete. It like just dropping it, in or the hit it with a rubber mallet, or hit it with a like. Th- this is this is not really something that's going to happen that often. It's something that the pistol should pass. Yes. Uh, but if you were if you were let's say at a shooting match and you were out on grass or something like that, you could, and again you have to drop them from pretty high up. On you know? something really hard. You working for Sig? Have you <laughs> dropped one on grass? 
No, but uh, uh, I was on a video chat with some buddies the other day, and they were they were dropping their P320s and hitting them with hammers. <laughs> they couldn't get the triggers to go off on them. There you they, go. So you'd have to really whack them to uh, to, uh, to get them off. Okay. Um. Yeah. I uh, I think that the uh, that since dropping it on the beaver tail is not part of the standard, a whole slew of testing of different firearms should be done that way to see what happens. Yep. Because I bet you'll find another one that doesn't pass. Yep. I tried so. my FNS and it was fine. It, it doesn't do that. Please tell me you didn't try it with live ammo. You just put a uh, primed case in the chamber. Oh, I should have done that. Yeah, that really should have been the waste. No, I didn't put live ammo in my gun. No, move on. <laughs> move on to the next one, please. All right. Uh, the U.S. Army has released a solicitation for a new 7.62 millimeter infantry rifle to replace the M4. This is the weird part. Replace the M4. The Interim Combat Service Rifle Program, uh, known, uh, known to be in the works since April of this year, would replace M4 carbines in use with combat units with a new weapon in 7.62 by 51. So they're going back to... Th- so if they were going to do this to replace, I don't know, M14s, if they had some upgraded M14s and they wanted to replace them with uh, something in 308. Hey, that makes a bunch of sense. I don't know why they're replacing M4s with a 308 uh, rifle. It, it, isn't this? Doesn't this sound odd? Um, no. I think the AR-10 is a better choice. It's the same ergonomics. Uh, yeah, it's a little heavier, but it's still lighter than the Grand. It's still lighter than the uh, M14, and you're going to get a more effective round. I don't think it's odd at all. I think that uh, if I was in shape and went into combat, I would much rather be carrying a 308 rifle. It's more range. It's just got better terminal ballistics. The downside, okay, you're carrying less ammo. I get A lot it. less ammo. A lot uh, heavier. A yeah, lot heavier. Less dude, ammo in your mag. Less ammo in your mag, but I don't know. What's, There's what's a lot of downsides. What's the little this. bullets or a couple of really good bullets? I, what's the point of having a bunch of ineffective ammo? Now, that being said, the 5.56 that we have today is not the 5.56 that was first introduced in the Vietnam War. Not that that's where it was first introduced, but the ammunition that they first went to war with in Nam was 45 grain, was it not? Uh, I don't and know. One in, one in twist barrels. They started off with light stuff, and then they, they got better reliability and better killing out of the 55 grain. You look at what the RCMP is carrying. The RCMP is carrying 77 grain jacketed hollow point. Now I get it. The military can't carry jacketed hollow point, but a 77 grain 223 round, or f- sorry, 556 five, round, is going to do a heck of a lot more than the old 55 grain used to do. So since we've got better propellants and heavier bullets, do we really need to jump into the 7.62? It's like 9 mil today. 9 mil today compared to 9 mil of World War II is not the same 9 mil. What law enforcement is carrying, you've got 9 mil doing over 1,200 feet per second out of duty guns with a 147 grain um, jacketed hollow point bullet. That just makes a wonderful little wound cavity. So you can still use, now you can use 9mm, and it's effective. It's as effective as a forty, and you're carrying more of it in a lighter gun. The gun recoils less. The gun itself lasts longer. 
I don't know. Maybe this is a step backwards. The step, like in my opinion, this is a big step backwards. But hey, what do I know? I'm not. Uh, I'm not in the army uh, procurement uh, office, and I think they're looking at buying fifty thousand of these things. So, not a not a small chunk of rifles. Actually, that's a tiny chunk of rifles. How many? How many U.S. troops are there? More than fifty thousand. How many? So, if they're going to deploy these deploy these rifles in the Middle East, where the distances are a little bit longer. Uh, you know, maybe that makes sense. Uh, 50,000 would be a lot considering, uh, how many active troops are over there right now. Right. Cause about. yeah, that would be, that would make sense. But I mean, one of the other things that the M M16 did was, and it was the air force that first adopted it. And then the other branch of the U S military adopted it. So you had now for the first time, I mean, everybody was wearing the same boots. Well, maybe not, but anyway, when everybody adopted the, when the M16 came on the scene, that's what everybody carried. They gave it to the Navy. They gave it to the Air Force. They gave it to the Army. They gave it to the Rangers. They gave it to the Marines. They all carried the same firearm. So 50,000 wouldn't be enough to say, all right, everybody's switching. So maybe it's a going to be a combat-specific thing. But yeah. then they're going, they're going back to when the M14 came out, the logic was we can replace three guns with the M14. We'll get rid of the little full auto. We'll get rid of the uh, we'll get rid of the Grand. We'll get rid of the M1 carbine, and we'll get rid of the grease, uh, gun. grease gun. Get rid of three guns with one gun. Of course, you know. Then they try to fire in full auto and realize, wait a second, this was not a good idea. It's kind of peppy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little, well, bit, a little bit of climb. They've got some justification uh, below here, so we'll uh, we'll go through that and, and and do some comments on that one. The primary justification for the ICSR program are improved ceramic body armors that are resistant to existing forms of small arms ammunition. The logic goes that the Army's new 5.56 M855A1 round cannot penetrate these new armors, and therefore the service must switch to a new round. Uh, however, this is misleading as current 762M80A1 uh, is also incapable of penetrating these body armors. Uh, and uh, uh, specialty tungsten core ammo in both 556 and 762 calibers are capable of penetrating armor of this type. Uh, so. Uh, Better 556, not don't throw the tungsten. baby off the bathwater. Yeah. And no, tungsten's but... cheap. <laughs> Man. Well, cheap-ish. I mean. No, I'm kidding. It's not cheap. <laughs> I used to use tungsten points on my uh, outdoor target arrows for archery. Mm -hmm. They were $250 a dozen and came in a hard plastic case, each tip in its own individual sleeve. It was ridiculous. <laughs> well, they could be using like deplete, depleted uranium rounds or something like that, right? You want to get some more yeah. weight and some more <laughs> penetrating power. But uh, yeah, so it's... Uh, Odd. No, just nuke, nuke it from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. Yeah. All yep. right. Anyways, what else we got? I think we're we're done on that one. Uh, okay. Let's see here. Okay, so there's some new, new gun new stuff. stuff. Yeah, MD Charlton? Carlton? Yep. I don't know. Charl Charlton. Charlton. Yeah. They've got the uh, SIG SSG 3000 in again. That's the uh, bolt-action uh, sniper rifle that uh, is uh, very sexy, very expensive, but uh, if you're looking at something that uh, that can hit stuff way out there. That's a decent way to, to get a platform that's ready to rock and roll, right? What uh, what caliber are we looking at here? I thought I saw a 308. Oh, look at that. Do, 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 do. Is it 308? 
That's horrible looking. It looks like a high point. Ah, uh, you know, that's what you get with uh, with some of these fancier things. Is they, they're fancy. all weird. It's yeah, horrible. look at look at all the adjustment on there. That's fancy. It's no, no. It's been hit with the ugly stick. This thing is this thing is ridiculously horrid. It's offensive. <laughs> look look at how this listeners. You need to look this thing up and tell me I'm wrong, and I'll disagree with you because it looks like <laughs> you know you know how the grip is made on a high point. That type of plastic, that type of feel, that type of texture. This thing is horrible. Tell Trevor, me you do you like do this. you own a high point? I do not, sir. Hmm. Well, maybe you need to uh, try one. Oh, don't! You're not going to do the reverse psychology thing on me, where I hated SKSs till I got one. No, sir. Uh, uh-uh, uh, not going to happen that way. No. <laughs> oh, I can't go there. <clears throat> so, uh, you can, but it's not going to work. This is totally different. Okay. I need I need to have some ugly stepbrother to kick once in a while, and the high point will remain it. Hmm. And this thing is awful. There's not really a way of gifting someone a it, high point, is there? It, well, you could throw it at them. This. Uh, <laughs> No, I mean this like this looks like a grade nine uh, shop student's project, except it's some Swiss rifle. It's fancy and probably has like umpteen different reasons for being six, that way. Six hours, six six hours, not Swiss, is it? Pretty sure. Our, our listeners, hours. our listeners are screaming at uh, at us right now. I was trying to be polite. This stuff. Six hours, definitely German. Sorry. They're screaming, they're screaming at you, only you, this time. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> All right, let's go on into my friends at the Calgary Shooting Center. All right, they've got the SD9 for three seventy nine, which is Come cheap, on. cheap, cheap. Come on, yeah. It's a, it, it, it's it's so much pistol for the money. The sights are okay. The sights are uh, the sights. The sights are they sights? Yeah, okay. they are sights, and they're like uh, you get what you pay for. With these sites, like the uh, H and K SFP nine, which is the VP nine, those sites don't belong on that pistol. Those sites belong on this pistol. I was very disappointed with those sites for mm. that much of for that much price tag. But um, yeah, the rear sight on the SD nine is like plastic or whatever. But you know, so is the Glock rear sight, and it works just fine. Um, yeah, no, I mean I've held this gun, I've dry fired this gun. It's it's worth more than three hundred eight bucks. Like if you don't have a pistol, and this is your first pistol, you're gonna be okay. You're gonna be like, oh, I could have did a lot worse. Like I could have got a high point and a kick in the butt. Or an Arinko. Uh, or an Arinko. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, you're good with this, this one for sure. Uh, it's still a ways out, but uh, Wolverine's trying to bring in the Fight Light MXR carbine. This is a pistol caliber carbine, maybe non restricted. So it looks like it takes a Glock mag, which is okay. Mm-hmm. It takes a Glock mag. It's uh, very lightweight and uh, looks kind of neat. Kind of neat, kind of odd. I don't know. This is, I like it. It's got some weird curves to it. but I like uh, it more than the uh, CZ Evo. Yeah, you got a chance to, to play with one of those, didn't you? I did. Hmm. Yep. Cool. Um, that was five round mag. Unfortunately, if you're going to make a pistol caliber carbine, kids, if you're listening, please make it take a pistol mag. Mm-hmm. So this one uses AR grips, AR stocks. Uh, the control, the um, selector or safety is in the same location as an AR's. Trigger looks like an AR. Um, takes a Glock mag. So if you live in Freedomville, you can get those thirty three round stick mags, or just stick with your regular capacity Glock mags. So. Yes. Now, 
did they Photoshop the barrel on this to make it look cool and we will get a non-restricted version that's like got stupid long barrels sticking out? They're talking about getting a non-restricted barrel length, yeah. Okay, well, <clears throat> yeah, it would have to be non-restricted for me to be interested. I have restricted handguns. I don't need a restricted pistol caliber carbine. Yep, I would agree. If, if I was to get a PCC, I'd, I'd want something that's uh, that I can go out in the bush with. I concur. Sweet. Uh, last up here, the Calgary Shooting Center has bundled DPMS lowers and lower parts kits for one ninety nine together. So that's uh, good. Inexpensive way of getting into uh, an AR. That's uh, that's one way you could start off. Two hundred bucks. So it's a hundred lower, hundred parts kit. Mm-hmm. Can't go wrong on that. Normally, yeah. it costs you like four hundred dollars to put a lower all together. So now you're all you need, all you've got left for this is your receiver extension, buffer, and spring. Stock. Did yeah. it come with a stock? It didn't come with a stock. No. no Most people want to get uh, like a Magpul stock or something like that, anyways. Exactly. They don't want the basic stock that comes with yeah. a lot of rifles. Stop buying ARs, build ARs. You'll yeah. build the one you want right up front and you'll not have to like. But the problem with building an AR is you never have anything left over to start the next build, right? Like I know a guy one time, he had an extra dust cover. He's like, all right, build started. That's how it goes. <laughs> well, you can so. always upgrade a part. Yep, that's true. Start that way. Cool. Uh, cool, yep. That's it. All right. Time Take for the main topic. The main topic. All right. So this week we're going to talk about gun modifications in general pertaining to permanent versus temporary versus game specific. So um, let's let's define these. A permanent gun modification would be uh, I took a 28 inch 870 barrel and had it cut down and threaded for chokes. It's not going back. <laughs> That's a permanent gun modification. Mm-hmm. Why did I do it? I was building a tactical shotgun. I needed a barrel that was long that just matched the tube I put on there. Rather than buying one, I had one. It was cheaper to get a cut and thread for joke. So now my 870 is uh, is set up in, you know, tactical, mall ninja, three-gun-esque, happy time, magpole goodness mm-hmm. kind of thing. Temporary. Okay. So I took my Remington 597, removed it from the cheap plastic stock, and I put it in a Boyd stock. However, I still have the cheap plastic stock on standby if for whatever reason I want to change the configuration of that rifle. That's that's not a permanent modification. That's just bolt-on parts. Um, Game-specific. Let's look at my, my STI Trojan. This gun came from the factory with wooden grips, no fiber optic front sight, no extended magazine release, and uh, a long trigger shoe. I have since added a magazine well, which is important for mag changes in the game of Ipsic. Uh, I have added more aggressive textured grips. I've added an extended magazine release. I've added a fiber optic front sight. Um, none of these are permanent because there was no machining or cutting or anything. They can all be removed and all the original factory parts can be put back on, but they are specific to the game of Ipsic. There are modifications I did to improve that gun in the game of Ipsic. In general, like so that that was what you did for that particular pistol. But in Correct. general, what what are some common modifications people do uh, to their pistol for Ipsic? Well, for any practical shooting sport, other than maybe IDPA, which has some pretty strict rules on what you can do with the gun, um, extended controls, extended controls, 
are one of the first things that we see people doing. And, and is that the, for open or like production or like what, what can you do in the different classes of, of IPSC? It's for any division where it's legal to do it. But of course, production, the um, you're not allowed to do it. So the companies do it for you. They put extended controls on typically um, magazine release buttons that are bigger than what you would typically see on, let's say, a factory Glock or an M&P, um, extended slide stops, stuff like that. Um, we also, of course, see um, upgrades to sites going from, uh, you know, three dots to a black rear uh rear blade and a fiber optic front those are those are pretty pretty common as well um extended do, do people ever bl just black out the rear sights instead of uh buying the blacked out uh, plain flat ones yeah absolutely depending on the uh on the make and model of the gun that's a very common thing to do as well and whether or not there's an aftermarket option available my fn started off that way and then changed it to um I bought the Dave Savigny uh, Warren Tactical sights for it. Uh, my Ruger SR9, I just blacked them out. Other any any time I get a gun with three dots, I black out the rear right off of the bat, regardless yeah. of what I'm using for. Yeah, that's what I did on my FNS. I I blacked out the rear sights just because it's uh it's confusing when you're drawing when you're moving to look for a dot and see three of them and get confused about where your sights are, and it's easier just to track one dot. Absolutely. Uh, let's see. We talked a little bit about grip tape. Um, are there any like? Do you do you like file your magwell? Do you any, do you do anything like permanent like that to your guns? Yep. Um, I ran an STI open gun for the 2014 season. The um, STI 2011 is a modular gun. The frame and the grip are in two pieces, and I had to dehorn the back of the frame. All the corners around the where the grip met the frame and where the safeties were were very sharp and made the gun just chew into my hand, especially on the draw. I mean, you come slamming down on the gun and grab the gun. So I dehorned it by getting in there with a polishing wheel and a Dremel uh, light sanding disc and took all the sharp corners off to make the gun just less like an abstract work of art and more like a smooth, comfortable firearm. You look mm. at the back of an SVI Infinity pistol, there's no sharp edges at all. There's also no beaver tail. Uh, well, you can get beaver tail models. Uh, sorry, grip safety. You can get some Infinities that have grip safety, but like the, uh, the higher-end open guns and standard guns by SVI, no grip safety. They just make the gun very comfortable, very ergonomic in the back, already you know dehorned. So uh, I had to do that to my to my uh, I had to do that myself. Yeah, what can you do to the trigger in Ipsic? Depending on the division, you can do a trigger job in revolver, classic, standard, and open. Um, in production, the first trigger pull needs to be five pounds. So you can change out some springs in your production mm -hmm. gun as long as they are a factory and B, do not reduce the first trigger pull by less than five pounds. And by the reason why I say the first trigger pull is because in production, you've got uh, the first trigger pull. If your gun is a double action, 
must be double action. So if you're shooting a Beretta, a CZ, or a Tanfoglio, the first shot out of the holster will be a double action shot. And then every shot after that is single action. And then that's where things get ridiculous because those there's no trigger pull in the single action. So guys will really work the trigger to polish it up and change the angles of the hammer hooks and stuff like that to make that single action trigger just... It's, it's some guys. There are some guns I wouldn't want to shoot. I'd be too afraid of a of an AD. Just mm. way too light. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any other uh, modifications you can think of for that you do for Ipsic? Well, I, I think mean, we, if you're open, open like you might as well. Okay, well you're gonna like you, that's not you're gonna drill your holes in the side of the gun and put a uh, a red dot mount. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah. gas pedal on the on the one side or a thumb rest on the one side. Yep. Um, I actually had uh, a frame drilled and tapped on one of my standard guns for a, for a thumb rest. With the standard gun, the only thing you can't do is optics or a comp. So you do all the other changes to it that you would to an open gun. However, there's a box. It's an aluminum box. The gun needs to fit inside in the, you know, and unloaded but in a fire-ready condition. So the hammer is back, the safety is on, and you put the gun into the box that way, I guess in the make-ready condition, not fire-ready. But anyway, um, so it has to fit in the box. So if you've got like a huge magwell, that's not happening. Mm-hmm. So you're allowed to use a magwell, but it has to be small enough to still fit in the box. The classic magwell, same thing. It doesn't. The gun has to fit in the box, and the magwell itself cannot be more than 35 millimeters. So there's there's some restrictions on what you can do outside of open, but you can still get away with a lot of stuff. No thumb rest on 1911, but on a standard gun, you can definitely do a thumb rest. So yeah, open, the sky's the limit. It's the Formula One of pistols. Compensators, red dots, thumb rests, slide rackers, huge mag wells, light, light triggers. Yeah, just crazy stuff. Yeah, they're pretty weird looking. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, again, some of those uh, modifications are permanent on your Ipsic gun, and and some are temporary. But if you were like the only the only I guess category where you might have a gun that that stays more or less true to its original might be production. You're open. And it sounds like your standard, and even your classic guns are going to get modded up pretty bad, right? Yep. Yep. Definitely. If you uh, want to be competitive. Yeah, you can shoot standard. With a 40 caliber MMP, but you're going against all those tricked out Tanfoglios and, and STI 2011, so yeah. it's uh, it's huge not really huge disadvantage. Same as in production, shooting shooting an MMP or a Glock in production is silly when you look at you know the Tanfoglios and the and the CZs. So those guns, they're production guns, which simply means enough of them is produced by the factory to meet the requirements for the production division. They have to be so long and they have to um, be double action, single action, or striker fired. There's a list of criteria for the division and the manufacturer looks at it and says, okay, how close can we get to the line and still have this gun, quote unquote, production legal? There's nothing, you know how they say there's nothing stock about a stock car? Well, there's nothing production about a production gun like a ten <laughs> or a CZ. Yeah, they're like- built. They're built at the factory to be a to be a, a souped up competition pistol, right out of the box. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not like. Uh, I mean, you know, at this at this most recent match, I was at. There were some people out there with their MMPs and their Glocks and whatnot. Oh, but sure, there always most is. Most people, most people had uh, uh, CZs or uh, uh, tank folios. 
Yep. Yeah, definitely. No question. And, um, um, unlike IDPA stock service pistol, where, you know, your Glock is supposed to be that, that, that division in practical shooting is definitely geared towards a carry firearm or a duty firearm. Mm -hmm. Unlike production Ipsic, Ipsic is a game. And no one ever says that'll get you killed on the street in Ipsic because that's that's not the mentality of the Ipsic shooter. Mm-hmm. It's the, um, you know, Ipsic is definitely the gamer's game of practical shooting. Yes, we're shooting guns, but a lot of things we do are not practical. Mm-hmm. So, uh, all right, well, that, that's Ipsic. Um I mean, you you shoot a little bit of three gun. Do you shoot divisions in three gun, or does just everyone get lumped into to one division kind of a thing? No, we follow USPSA with the exception of the um, with the exception of the heavy metal stuff. So we're doing open and standard and tactical, I believe. Yeah, tactical. So yeah, tac ops. So uh, it used to be if you had an optic or a comp on one gun, all three guns were in open. You didn't get to compete in the standard division with your pistol and the open division with your um, with your rifle. Like you were, you had to be, you know, shooting in the open division or not. So if you had one optic on one of your guns, all th- you were in open regardless of what your other guns had. And if there was no optics on any gun and no comp on any gun, then you could be in standard. And then the Ipsic rules for their version of three gun is, is different again. They don't have three gun. They mm-hmm. have Ipsic rifle, Ipsic shotgun, and uh, Ipsic pistol. And in Ipsic shotgun, they actually separate the manuals from the pumps. We 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 don't. Mm-hmm. If you show up with a pump gun, enjoy. Ah, it's you know it's it's not really that big of a disadvantage. I think it's your loading port and your loading that really uh, really is key i mean so you shoot three gun uh which of your guns have been modified uh for the game of three gun the one that's been modified the least is actually my pistol um the my other two are heavily modified both my versa max and my STI rifle, my STI rifle being the one that's the most modified where the barrel's been changed. There's a compensator on the barrel. There's an extended magazine release. There's an extended charging handle. Um, there's a one to four power loophole scope on it. The gun shoots incredibly flat with that compensator. Um, the next thing I'm going to put on it is a magwell. You can get a plastic bolt on magwell for your AR-15. Looks just like a crazy open or magwell like you would have on your open pistol. Mm-hmm. And then my shotgun, same thing. Um, you've got an extended lifter, no jam follower, extended bolt release, jumbo safeties. The loading port has been opened and machined to accommodate quad loads and better loading. Uh, mine was done by Casey at Tactical Ordnance in Ontario. And it was one of the uh, early ones from a couple of years ago. He's really getting in there now. Like, he opens them up more than he opened up mine. Because the way mine is, quad loading, I guess, could be kind of difficult. So he's sweeping back the front above the um, magazine tube where the follower is yep. quite a bit more than he than he used to. So mine might go back. I don't know. Mine's, pretty, G- mine's pretty aggressive. Yeah. 
mine mine is not compared to a lot of them out there so i might send it back and then he's also i think he's doing some lightning work on the bolt to increase the cichlet rate um so what else have i done to mine pretty pretty far so like that started as a versa max which is like a, a duck and goose shotgun right so well you- yes but i didn't I, it's not like i got the 28 inch camo I got the 26-inch synthetic, so it had the Hogue overlay on the forend and on the stock, which made you know uh, grip on the uh, gription. I believe is the technical term. <laughs> the gription was increased quite a bit, mm-hmm. both in the forend and on the stock. And yeah, so even even a 20 even so 26-inch synthetic. That's your poor man's duck and goose gun. Like the usually the camo costs a little bit more. Uh, 26 is still like a that's that's not a combat shot shotgun by any means. No, it's not. Uh, but it was actually, I believe the synthetic version was more than the camo version. Really? I yeah, I don't know if you're paying for the Hogue overlay or what, but and mine's in three and a half. Right? We all go with the three and a half so that we can max out the capacity of two and a half, two and three quarter. I thought it was to shoot more geese, but yeah, that's it. <laughs> oh, um, I started okay. off by getting the lifter welded. But that was causing some feeding issues. So uh, Versamax actually, or Remington actually sells a competition lifter that is full length and has a channel in the front. Not not a fork, but a, a, a dip in, you know, machined into the lifter to center the shell on the lifter for better reliable uh, chambering. Mm-hmm. Now, your, your Versamax, has it been modified to the point where it couldn't be used for duck and goose hunting? No, it would just be a question of uh, removing the um, magazine extension that I've got on there, putting the original cap on the end of the original tube and putting my plug in, and I am good to go. Yeah, I think I could do the same thing to my A5. I probably wouldn't want to because uh, <laughs> there's there's a bunch of other, like I've really hogged out my, uh, my loading port, and if I was to take that thing duck hunting, I'm going to get debris in there. It's not... Uh, like that lifter is is almost like a, a deterrent to keeping crap from getting into the uh, action, and mine is uh, is sticking out uh, below the bottom, so <laughs> stuff will actually get in there pretty easy. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean that it, mine is not a duck and goose gun anymore. It's uh, it's been pretty heavily modified. I've got I've I've still got a twenty eight inch barrel on mine. The the uh, consensus I guess in three gun is that uh, a lot of those, especially in the states, they they don't care about barrel length. Their their reason is a little bit different than ours. Their reason is they're going to put an extension tube on there anyways, so it's yeah. going to be long anyways. So who cares if it's a twenty four or a twenty eight inch barrel? It, it it doesn't really make a big difference. Uh, for us out here, we can't get like massive magazine uh, massive uh, magazine tubes anyways because uh, we're limited. Not with semis, for, yeah. yeah, we're limited on our semis. Um, but I just I just can't be bothered. I've got twenty eight inch. I've got chokes for it. For me to recut it and get new chokes is gonna uh, cost money that I'm just I'm just not willing to spend. Yeah, um, and not every barrel can be cut down and threaded either. Yep. Yeah. Um, what else? What other modifications do I have to mine? I don't have a match saver attached to the side of mine. I do. I forgot to mention that. Yeah, you do on yours. Um, let's see here. I don't have uh, an extended bolt handle or bolt release and the reason why is okay so it was a bolt handle I, I had one on, on my shotgun before it gets in the way every once in a while you'll be shooting around a port or something like that and that stupid charging handle will hit something and then uh, cause a stoppage 
Uh, I don't use it enough in a match. With a semi-automatic shotgun, you're feeding it, you're hitting that bolt release uh, to, to charge it up, but you're very rarely actually using the charging handle, so uh, why get something that's bigger and, and easier to catch on things? Uh, as far as the A5, I didn't opt for a larger uh, uh, bolt release because the bolt releases when you've, if, if it's locked to the rear, the bolt releases when you load it through the tube. It'll actually auto-load that first one in there. So I don't have very many, like if you look at the shotgun, there's not very many go-fast go parts on it. Uh, there's an extended tube. There's uh, the loading port on the bottom, which has been hogged out. Uh, there's the welded uh, fork on the uh, lifter, but it's it it doesn't look like a, it doesn't look as bad as some of my other guns in terms of modifications. Um, oh, I, yeah, I, the job you, the job you did on that shotgun was amazing. But in terms of like how ugly it was, or in terms of like how how nicely it loads, uh, how much you butchered it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I did that on purpose. Oh, I know it was amazing. I'm gonna massacre it anyway. Like it's already starting to get some dings on it and that kind of thing. And if I if I really treated it nicely and put like hours and hours and hours into like getting a perfect polish on that loading port, I would probably be a little bit bent out of shape when I threw it in a barrel and it got a ding or something like that on it. So I don't like I I can't be bothered. No, uh, it's yeah, it's a competition gun. The finish yep. is gonna get beat up. Like I I don't know what's wrong with me. Like my my Trojan came from the factory with what STI refers to as their satin bluing. Garbage. Mm -hmm. Satin garbage. I mean, it's so much holster wear on that gun in one season, like it doesn't make sense. It was just just awful. So I'm going to get my gunsmith to hot blue it. And... is it, does he have any, any other fish finishes that might be tougher? I mean, you look at the yeah, newer, newer firearms, they, um, they use like Glock's got their Tenefer finish or whatever. So, I mean, there's some like really hard wearing finishes that I really like, especially for a competition gun, because if you go put a nice bluing job on there, you're gonna, you're gonna mess know, it up anyways, know, and you're gonna I get know. it to rust. And I know I should just leave it. Well, yeah. especially since I just dropped off. Oh, I knew I bought a gun. <laughs> I bought, I bought a shotgun go. from you. <laughs> How could Just I forget? Think enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got this really cool project from my gunsmith, thanks to Adriel. I picked up a well, most of a Wingmaster. So it's a Wingmaster receiver, and that's about it. The barrel you gave me is not Wingmaster, but so what? What he's going to do is he's going to polish the snot out of the barrel, hot mm-hmm. blue the barrel polished the receiver, hot blew the receiver. Somebody drilled and tapped that receiver for, I don't know, scope mount or something. He's going to get some appropriate fitting set screws, get those in there nice and flush and seamless and polish the bolt. And then the wood that was on my Express Magnum is not fit to put on an Arinko. He had a nicer 870 and he took the wood off of it and mag pulled it and Cerakoted it. So he had his wood set kicking around. Yeah, he wanted a hundred bucks for it, so I brought him my wood set and got his wood set for twenty five bucks. Ah. So twenty five bucks for the wood set. Plus, I told him to make the wood look like glass, make the barrel look like glass, make the receiver look like glass, and make the bolt look like glass. And yeah, man, I will have a real nice walnut blued steel eight seventy Wingmaster, which I will probably put in the safe and not touch. <laughs> 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 like I got a cooey. I got a Kui. I mean, come on. Kui's are like 
everybody's got one, right? So, but I don't want to take it hunting because I had him restore it. <laughs> but I just like, I should totally be hunting with a single shot Kui because it's, you know, something fun to hunt with. What do or I do? I go, yeah. yeah, well, I go out there with my tactical 870 or my 590 A1 or my Versamax. Those are the things I hunt with. So, anyway. Yeah, where were we? Three gun mods. Yeah, uh, my rifle is... So I don't know, like a like a basic AR is a pretty good three gun uh, in terms of differences between my AR and a like a, a rack mil spec AR. Uh, I've got a nicer barrel on mine. Uh, let's see, I've got an. What's the number on one? What's the number one AR upgrade when you go three gun? The trigger. You got it. Got to yeah. do that trigger, man, because a lot of people can't out shoot their barrel anyway, unless they're like shooting a lot at distance. They don't need another barrel. They believe they do, and that's fine. Go spend money, support the gun industry. Yes, do that. But you can you can make bad shots that can be improved with a better trigger. So, yeah, drop in yeah. a Geisley or a Trigger Tech or a JP Industries, and don't look back. Yeah, I've got a RRA uh, two-stage national match in mine, and it's uh, it's fantastic. But I'll disagree with you on the barrels because if someone's shooting, uh, if if your three gun club has you know three to five hundred yard shots, that better barrel is going to be better than the rack grade barrel typically, and yeah. uh, you'll you'll like greatly improve. Even like I'm still just using blaster ammo with mine, just some cheapo fifty five grain stuff, uh, but it prints that stuff way nicer than my old barrel did. And uh, handles heat better as well because it's a little bit of a, of a heavier weight. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just got a text. Someone in my community is selling 15 handguns. Ooh. Do you got to like, go. make a trail? <laughs> I got I to I I make it. Okay, let's, let's finish off. Okay, that's the main topic. There's gun mods. Trevor's got to go buy some pistols. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, look at what I did last time. I bought those nine long guns, right? Yeah. We've Have got, you cleared a bunch of those out? Yeah, I got three to go. I got the Ithaca Model 37 Featherweight. That one's four and a quarter shipped. I still have the Seiko Model 85L Bavarian with the VX3 three and a half to 10 that'll power be a, scope. That'll be a slow one to sell. There's just, there's not many people that buy those. Right. I mean, you I'm will asking, find it eventually. Yeah, I'm asking $2,500 for it. So you're saving the tax and getting the scope for free. And the well, like I showed that rifle and the 270 to my gunsmith. He was here last Sunday, mm-hmm. and in his professional opinion, those guns have not been fired. And Andy, Captain Andy, took a look at the Seiko and he said, "You can walk into a store and walk out with a brand new gun off the shelf that is not in as nice a condition as that Seiko." So, mm-hmm. um, those are the last three to go. Um, the lever action 22 I'm keeping. Yeah, and so I got time I got, to. Uh time to restock the uh <laughs> the gun store <laughs> mm-hmm. sweet and i got the um i got another gun in that deal too that can only be talked about on the um patreon yeah uh, okay cool yeah so time to go buy 15 handguns yeah uh well, did you have time to uh hit this listener feedback one? oh yeah yeah we'll finish the show i'm sure okay. they're not going anywhere all right. Yeah, listen, listener feedback. Uh, this is, uh, oh, yes, let's talk about this. This one had me a little, this one had me do some research. Um, for Trevor to respond to, yeah, because yeah, I was the one that was, you know, saying this. Anyway, this is uh, an email pertaining to episode 196. It's entitled, this was the subject of the email, well, episode 196, Glaring Errors. Has anyone refuted the Slamfire claim 
at about the two-hour mark, two hour and five minutes, in where it is suggested it is perfectly safe to make 357 SIG cases from 40 Smith & Wesson. This is completely unacceptable as the case pressures are different and the converted cases will be too short. Let me stop there. If you load accordingly, the pressure in the short case will be okay. If you load, to, it's imagine putting a 556 recipe in a 223 case, if you believe Sammy, but what does Sammy know, right? So it's just kind of the same idea. If you reduce case volume, you need to reduce the amount of pressure you create in that case. Now, I was basing my comments on the fact that there are multiple IPSC shooters who shoot open guns, who sh their open gun is chambered in 357 SIG, and they make their 357 SIG brass out of 40 cases. And there's a product out there that a company sells that allows you to do this. Or maybe, let me backpedal there, I can't confirm that. Maybe they're simply putting a 40 case inside a 357 SIG die. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm sure that they're measuring them. And if they're way too short, they're not using them. If they don't have enough neck, you're going to have problems. There's there's no question. So um, he says, there was so much wrong with the 357 SIG discussion. I don't know where to start. Horrible and dangerous advice. Check any reputable reloading manual. Your former guest, Masada Yub, Masada Yub's pal, gets it right on Pro Arms podcast number 55. Short version, do not make 357 SIG cases out of 40 Smith & Wesson or 10 millimeter brass. So, uh, yeah, that's that guy's opinion. And I went out and I did some more research. And to be there's perfectly honest... There's people that have the same opinion as, as this person. And there's also, yeah. um, there's also people who have your opinion that you can do it. So... I well, think, uh, uh, the majority of the people are in this gentleman's camp. I got to tell you, I don't mm -hmm. think I found any. Well, that's not true. I did find a couple of people that said, yes, you could do it. Should you? No, that's like as close as I came to being in support of this. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I stand I stand corrected because the, what I read backed up this guy's opinion and people are saying don't do it. I know what's being done, and that's what I base my comments on. Just because it's being done, however, doesn't mean it should be done. And I probably should have looked into it more because when you're talking about reloading, it's no joke. You can you can hurt yourself. So uh, I'll podcast this one and the other reloading one I do. Well, Jim's got a perfect disclaimer on the front of the reloading podcast, and that is don't do what we do. Do your own research and do what the manufacturers tell you to do. So that applies here as well. So thanks for writing in. Thanks for correcting me. It's definitely important and needed to be pointed out. Not advisable to turn 40 brass into 357 SIG. Cool. If you would like to send us an email and correct somebody else for a change, you can... <laughs> <laughs> maybe you they'll maybe they'll email in about uh, about me calling a SIG uh, firearm Swiss or maybe what, yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah. are they it, Swedish instead? <laughs> oh, man, you know you probably could have got away with that, but you had to remind them. So yes, send the hate mail to slamfireradio at gmail dot com. We have no iTunes reviews. The Apple Seed Princess checked, and there are none. So um, feel free though to leave us one. We've got one hundred fifty five so far from all over the different 
countries and stuff. Thank you to everyone who has left us one already. Time for shout-outs. Adriel, do you have any shout-outs? Yeah, uh, to Ipsic, Alberta. They uh, they didn't have to let me into that match. I was uh, I was registered late, and uh, I didn't like admittedly didn't read the registration stuff, and they still squeezed me in. So, um, very much obliged. I got to shoot my first uh, Ipsic match. I don't think I would have gotten that chance if uh, if they hadn't uh, bent the rules for me and let me in. So, kudos out to those guys. Very different though, huh? I knew you would uh, from coming from shooting. Um, outlaw three gun jumping into a formal Ipsic match with trained arrows. Now you kind of see what I was talking about. It was a bit of an eye opener, huh? Yep. yep. Both from the point of view of the competitors and the arrows. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I don't, it's my opinion, right or wrong. So I think that um, people that are trained in USBSA, IDPA, or Ipsic that then start putting on outlaw three gun matches. My personal bias, I think they're run better because they're run by people who have training and have been shooting a, a more organized, formal sport. And so I think you're, you're getting more consistency. Like I said, just my opinion. Do you have any shout-outs? Yeah, I do. Um, to everyone, uh, to all the shooters who came out to support SummerSlam, like I said at the banquet, there is no, there's no Ipsic without Ipsic shooters. People have gonna want to come out and support your matches, and people drove some really insane distances to get to Newfoundland. Paul Barrow to get to Newfoundland. Paul Barrow came to Restigush from Newfoundland. He drove from Newfoundland to get to SummerSlam. Morgan Swant, God love him. He hung out a little bit last year, but he hung out a lot more this year. He drove all the way from Northern Ontario, I believe. And Morgan, I apologize if I got this wrong. I believe he came all the way from Thunder Bay. Like, he's so far north in Ontario, he has to fly to Toronto to go to a match if he wants to go to a match. That's how, that's how high up north he is in Ontario. Um, and he drove to get here. And the, the, the posts on Facebook have been just incredibly supportive of the match. People are posting pictures and positive comments before they left for the match. The Ontario crew were posting pictures. We're on our way. Like even last year, somebody made an imitation vanity plate for the front of their car that said SummerSlam bound or something like that. Like it just those who like it, like it a lot. Let's put it that way. And and I thank these guys so much because they make all the hard work that I do and the volunteers, the Rescue Gun Club do so worthwhile because they don't just show up and shoot and leave. Like they just constantly telling us what a great job we do and how much fun they had and they're coming back and it's just Awesome. So thank you to everyone who came and attended. And of course, thank you to the crew of volunteers that I had. McClatchy's not here, but I'll, I said it at the banquet, I'll say it again. Like, without Matthew staying at my home and helping me with all the behind the scenes stuff that has to be done every night when I get home, leading up to the pre match, during the pre match, during the main match. And we've, we've gotten smarter. We're working smarter, not harder. And we've reduced a lot of things, but. We came up with a few new things this year, some ideas I t- took home from the Nationals. And well, Matthew, it wouldn't be as good as it is because he, he does so much when he gets back here every night for me that I just, there's no words. Even though I talk a lot, there's no words. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you to him and, and everybody else. And of course, the guys at the club here who bust their backs building stuff and cleaning up stuff and being the, the range crew. It's just, yep. Without those guys, there's no SummerSlam either. No question. So, and they and these guys are already talking about how to improve things for next year. So, they're committed. They're just amazing. 
cool. that's all I got. And you had yours, so why don't we move on to our Patreonies? Uh, we have a new one, Ross M four seven six two. Thank you very much, Ross. And again, thank you to all the current Patreonies. The list is too long. You know who you are. Thank you. We need to have a uh, next week is our Patreon episode, isn't it? Mm, or was guess. it supposed to be this week? Mm. We're doing them the second Thursday of the month, right? It was supposed to be tonight. No, it was supposed to be tonight. We didn't schedule it. Mm. Have to do it next week, only without me because I'm on vacation. So, <laughs> you please, don't get a, you'll get a, get a vacation. There, there was going no on? vacation time in the contract. I'm going on vacation. Talk to my agent. I'm ready. SummerSlam is done. I'm going to Cape Breton. I'm going to sit on Captain Andy's dock and then go out on his sailboat, drink expensive scotch, and do nothing. Actually, that's not true. We're going to tour the Cabot Trail and the Marconi Museum and the Alexander Grand Bell Museum and all the, you know, all the all the crazy things there is to do in Cape Breton. But, you know, I've never been there, so we're going. All right. And then back to work. So, yeah, join some stuff and take some people shooting and check us out on some places, and we'll see you all next week. So if you have any comments or questions for the show, please send an email to slamfireradio at gmail.com. Now go grab a gun and shoot something. When the talking is over, it's time to get a gun.